Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter to everybody. Everybody doing well? I see everybody is like, wow, very colorful wearing today. Uh, could you please stand up and worship along with us? John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world, or excuse me, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together to celebrate the resurrection of your son Jesus. Lord, it's such a joy to know that we do not have to have a memorial service for a body in a tomb, but we celebrate the risen Savior who's seated at the right hand who defeated death, and through whom we can have eternal life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Are you here to lift up Jesus with us today? Amen. We're here to celebrate the resurrection today, and we're glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. If you get the opportunity sometime, please fill out your connection card for us. If you're watching us online, we ask that you do the same thing so we can continue to keep in contact with you. But this time, we're going to keep singing praises to the Lord together. Please be seated.
good morning. <clears throat> it is such a great joy. Um, I had tears in my eyes this morning when I saw the sunrise, and I thought about how good he is to us. And in this particular song, I hope that you will sing with us. We're going to put the words up. But I want to share with you one sentence that really reaches out to me, <clears throat> and it talks about scars. And he also talks about how he takes away everything, and he heals us, and he loves us despite everything. So I hope that you will lift up your voice and let him know how much we love him because of the sacrifices that he's done. But the wonderful thing is today, many years ago, he rose to show us that he is Lord. Amen? When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but you still came. And you stepped into the dark, because that's just the kind of God you are. When heaven seems beyond my reach, you still see eternity in me. You're turning ashes into art, because that's just the kind of God you are. Amen. In the empty tomb, it's on the rugged cross. Your death-defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart, because that's the kind of God you are. When freedom from my sins, you told me I could start The hurt is dead and gone. Now we're your daughters and your sons. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We once were lost, but now we're found. Forever you hold us in your arms, because that's just the kind of God you are. It's in the empty tomb, it's on the rugged cross, your death-defying love is written in your scars, you'll never quit on me, you'll always hold my heart, cause that's the kind of God you are.
death-defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart, because that's the kind of God you week and you forget how to turn everything on. I was so bummed last week. I had my sermon ready to go. I was ready to, <clears throat> ready to preach and stupid COVID got me again. <clears throat> Not fun, but I'm doing well now. Have you thought about what will happen at the end of your life? Will you live your life and go into the ground and then it's all over? Or is there more? I have some good news for you who think that you're going to live your life, take your last breath, and then it's over. You either go into the ground or go into the furnace, depending on what you do with the, with the remains of your body. And you think maybe that, light, that you're going to be forgotten, that the life that you live really didn't mean anything, because 20, 30, 40, some, unless you're infamous, you know, sometime in the future, you're going to be forgotten. But today we have a joyous occasion to celebrate. We, we are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. And this holiday shows us that we don't just live and die and it's all over. On this day, we celebrate the most significant moment in the history of humanity. There is no other, there is no other event in human history as great as this. Maybe, I guess you could say creation because without it, we're not here. But it's the time that we celebrate God raising Jesus, his son, from death. Resurrection Sunday is the most crucial event in our history. Because the resurrection of Jesus, it is the most crucial event in history because that event impacts us today and it will impact us for eternity. 
It's not just some event that will hit us and, and we think, okay, that's pretty good. And, you know, we, we thought about it, we remembered it. But this event has lasting effects for eternity. Because of this event, because of what God did through Jesus, we have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. The God who created you, the God who loves you, and the God who did everything in his power outside of taking away your free will to give you the opportunity to have eternal life. <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus puts the stamp of authenticity on Jesus as being the one and the only Son of God. The one, the only way, the one, the only truth, the one, the only life. The resurrection, the resurrection gives it that stamp of authenticity. This is why we can talk about Jesus in the sense of him being preeminent. Because Jesus is above all. Have you ever considered why we don't have a day to celebrate the resurrection of Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, L. Ron Hubbard, Joseph Smith, <clears throat> or any other figure in history? You know why we don't? Because there's not. They didn't raise from the dead. They didn't rise from the dead. They're still dead. You can go find their body in a tomb somewhere. It didn't happen. So there's nothing to celebrate. But we can celebrate the risen Savior today. Because Jesus, this was a real event in real human history. And this resurrection that we read about, this resurrection that we know about, is one of the most attacked events in, in the Bible. And really, it makes sense that it is. Because the event is so incredible. The fact that God sent his son to live as a human on this earth is incredible. And if you're a follower of, an, of another religion, or if you're a God unto yourself, because everyone has a religion, the resurrection will make you think about that position. Because whatever you're following, did whoever you're following resurrect from the dead and defeat death? Will you, on your own, beat and defeat death? The answer to that is no. In the 15th chapter of, of the book of Corinthians, this is one of the high points of the New Testament as it describes the resurrection. The big idea to our message this morning is that Jesus' resurrection is the promise that more will rise. In other words, it wasn't just Jesus. At that time it was, but Jesus is what we would call the first fruits, and we'll talk about that near the end of the message. As we work through the passage this morning, we will see why Jesus is preeminent over everything, why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, why Jesus is God, not a God, but he is the risen Savior. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I'll have it on the screen also, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will begin with verses 1 through 4, and it tells us this. Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, that you received and on which you stand, and by which you were saved if you hold firmly to the, to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the first observation we're going to make quite simply is the gospel. Before we go too deep into de dealing with Jesus, we have to understand and we need to know what the gospel is. In the first four verses of this passage, Paul, before he talks about resurrection in depth, before he talks about some of these implications, he first of all wants us to know what the subject is at hand, and that is the gospel and why it's important. The gospel that Paul preached, and when that gospel is received and we stand upon it, that gospel saves us. That message saves us. 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not saved by any other thing or any other person other than the gospel of Jesus Christ in Christ alone. We cannot make up our own way to heaven. We cannot follow some other figure and say, well, you know, I'm going to follow this great teaching because it'll get me to heaven. No, that great teaching may get you some other things, but it will not get you an eternal relationship with God. This is part of the reason of the preeminence of Jesus, because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. The gospel, for it to be effective, though, it's one thing to have it before you. It's one thing to have the bunch of Bibles in your house or have it all on your phone or your other devices. But it's quite another thing to stand on it and to believe it. Verse 2 contains, uh, um, verse two continues by saying that we must hold fast. We must stand on this gospel because if we don't, we believe in vain. Believing in vain denotes somebody who gives something lip service, but it has no real impact on them. It has no real impact on them. We are saved by the gospel message if we allow that gospel to produce results in our life. In other words, believing in the gospel isn't just saying, yeah, I know the Bible, I believe the Bible, but it's allowing God's word to impact you and to change you. It is more than just coming and sitting in a church seat or in a church pew, depending on where you are. It is allowing Jesus to change your life. It is allow, it's, it's where you allow yourself to be crucified with Christ, and the life that you live is no longer yours, but it's Christ within you. Verses 3 and 4 explain to us what that message is. Now, naturally, there are many other facets of God's work that are in Scripture that are both preached and taught by Paul and the other apostles. But in verses 3 through 5, Paul emphasizes the centrality of four major points that we need to understand that make the gospel that give us the power, that makes everything else matter. Each of these are introduced by the term that. Our message, of, excuse me, our message was that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. And then we find that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture, and finally that he appeared. That's the gospel message in a very short summation. What is the gospel? God sent his son. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He appeared. He didn't just resurrect on some foreign planet that we don't know of, on planet kryptonite or something. He did it in Jerusalem, in Israel, on this earth, on, during a specific period in history. It wasn't something that nobody else saw. Nothing can be added and nothing be, can be taken away from the message of the gospel. Because when we do it, it is no longer the gospel. If I start tacking things on to what Paul says and say, well, you know, the gospel is really this. No, it's not. Or, well, you know, Jesus is just a God. No, we've changed the message and it's no longer the message. Make a cake sometime and, and when you're low on flour, instead replace the flour with sand. <laughs> Tell me how it tastes. It's no longer a cake. You can think it's a cake, you can call it a cake, but when you bite into that, you're going to hurt your teeth. It won't work. And if we take the message of the gospel and we alter it and we change it, it's no longer the gospel. We're no longer winning people to Jesus. We have to stand on that message no matter what. Society's telling us, oh, there's many ways, there's many truths, there's many. No, there's not. There's not. Because Christ is preeminent. Because of the proof, the proof of that is, is what happened to him and who he was and what he did. Let's pop down to verses 5 through 11. It says this. 
and that he appeared to, to Cephas, then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as though to be born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and his grace to me has, been, has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them. Yet I, excuse me, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether it is, was I or they, this is the way we preach and this is the way you believe. So the second thing we see is in this passage is Paul also lays out the witnesses. What is an event without witnesses? It is no fun to go fishing alone. For those of you, I don't know, how many of you ever fished? Okay, not a lot of you did. If you're from Missouri, you fish all the time. You know, we get that redneck moniker for a good reason because we're out there getting our necks burned trying to catch fish. But you don't go alone because there's no story. You just tell people, I caught a fish this big, and they're like, yeah. But you got to have somebody with you to verify it. Golf, I can't imagine playing golf alone. I can't play anymore. I couldn't play ever, but uh, golf, man, you want somebody there to see that shot. Now, you don't want them to see you cursing throughout the course because you're making a lot of bad ones, but that one shot that brings you back, somebody's got to see it. Huh. Will we move, we'll, we'll move through this point rather quickly, but why does Paul go to the trouble of listing <laughs> the witnesses that Jesus rose from the dead? Now, this letter was written around AD 57. Jesus was raised about AD 30. So it's been over 25 years since the event. But some people, for whatever reason, most likely societal pressures, were starting to doubt the possibility of resurrection. This is why Paul writes this. Paul wanted the people to remember that many people saw Jesus had raised from, was risen from the dead. That he didn't just raise in secret and go hide or go up into heaven. People saw it. Paul gave a list of those people who would have been known to the Corinthian church because Paul said, hey, many of them, are, you know them. Many of them are still alive. Some have died. But this is just a fraction of those who saw the risen Savior. Jesus didn't just raise in secret. He, didn't, he wasn't raised from the grave in secret. He didn't just disappear from the tomb and never to be seen again. Paul says, hey, 500 at once saw him. By the way, that gets rid of the mass, the issue of people, well, it's a hallucination. 500 people don't do hallucinate the same thing. The resurrection, as I said earlier, did not take place in a fairy tale land. It took place in Jerusalem, where he was crucified. He didn't resurrect on some planet that we know nobody ever heard of. Jesus rose in Jerusalem, and he appeared to people in Jerusalem. The first group that Paul refers to is Peter, and then the twelve. Now, by this time, Jesus, Judas had, had taken care of himself and died. He committed suicide. The twelve was a technical term that stood for the apostles. And what is the significance of his appearing to the 12? Why does Paul mention the 12? Because he wasn't with them at the time. If you know your scripture, where were the 12, or at that time actually the 11, when Jesus was being crucified? Where were they? They were in the streets of Jerusalem boldly proclaiming, you, did a, you made a mistake, this is the Son of God, right? 
No, 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 no. They were terrified. They were hiding. I'm surprised they even went out on Sunday to the tomb. But even after they, after they thought, well, maybe he raised from the dead, they were still behind locked doors. These men were afraid. They feared for their lives. These men were in no position to proclaim a message that they were afraid they were going to die because of. These men were in no position to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God when they were afraid that message would get them killed. But yet something changed. Within days, within days, these men who were terrified of dying, what were they doing? They were in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming Jesus. Some of them were captured at times and were beaten. And then they walked away from that. I don't know about you, but if I get beaten, I'm like, wait a minute, what's up with this? But they walked away rejoicing that they could suffer for Jesus, these same men who were afraid to die. Peter was so fearful of death. Remember when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then what happens? He cries like a little schoolgirl. He's terrified. Three times he denied the Lord, and he ran in shame. How do you go from fearful to fearless? He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the twelve. That appearance changed their life. They no longer were operating on faith. We have to operate on faith. They had fact. They saw the risen Savior, and that's the only way that it accounts for going from fearful to fearless. They all, except for John, died for Jesus. Crucified upside down, punished, brutalized, they all eventually died. These same men that were afraid to die gladly died for Jesus. Why? And then he appeared to Peter, and then the twelve. And then here James, his, the brother of Jesus, we see early in the Gospels, you know, he's, 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 they don't, they're not really buying this Jesus, Son of God stuff. I mean, that, imagine if your little brother comes up and says, I'm the Son of God. I'd have smacked my brother so hard, like, oh, are you crazy? What, what do you mean? He's bigger than I am now, so I might, although I'm the older one, I still got that older brother advantage. But James became a pillar of the church. How did that happen? And he appeared to James. It's the only reason he changed. And then Paul... Paul was rounding up Christians to send them to their death. A Pharisee. Paul was very zealous. He thought he was doing God's will. How do you go from persecuting people to being the person who wrote the most of the New Testament? And he appeared to Paul. This is why these people are listed in here. See, when you see Jesus in your life, you will go from fearless fearful, excuse me, to fearless, from faithless to faith. In the case of the appearances, in case those appearances, excuse me, were insignificant, he appeared to over 500 brethren at once. Then we had the ones he appeared to on the road to Emmaus that weren't even mentioned. There were several other appearances. My question to you this morning is, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? I'm not talking about in the physical sense. But have you seen Jesus? When you read God's word, when you see the things that Jesus has done in the lives of others, have you seen Jesus? Do you see Jesus when you come in the doors of the church? Do you see Jesus when you see our brothers and sisters in Christ 
living out their faith changed lives. My life was changed. People look at me and they say, well, you're a preacher. I wasn't always a preacher, believe me. My 10-year class reunion, my classmates, 200 and some odd of them, laughed when I got introduced as what they call me, pastor or some silly name. They laughed. You know why? Because they knew me before Jesus changed my life. (laughs) See, when you see Jesus, you'll never be the same. We know this from Scripture. Peter, Paul, the other 11, all the others that saw Jesus, they were never the same. Seeing Jesus changes you. Hearing about him does not. Seeing him in your life does. The apostles walked with him for three years. Judas and the other 11, for three years, they ate with Jesus. They heard him preach. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead, for heaven's sakes. Some of them saw the transfiguration. They saw that Jesus turned water into wine. But yet, when it came time for him to die, they all scattered. You know why? Because even though they were with him, they hadn't seen him. Even though they listened to him, even though they saw the miracles, they never saw him. But when he was resurrected, they saw him, and it changed them. And you may be thinking, well, man, I'd really like to see the resurrected Jesus. You know what? I'm thinking the same thing. I'd love to physically see Jesus in front of me. But you know what? You can see Jesus through the word of God, through other people that Jesus has changed their lives. You can see Jesus. And once you open your heart and your mind to seeing Jesus, you will never be the same. You'll never, again, be a sort of Christian because we try to play that game. You will be sold out for Jesus. You won't care when the world says, you know, you shouldn't teach that. It's going to get you in trouble. You're like, well, I'm going to try not to be offensive, but if I am, I'm sorry because I'm preaching the message of the cross and I'm I'm going to stand on it. Our society is trying to tell us that there's all these other things going on, all these different genders, everything that they claim that they believe in science, but yet science defies. And when you don't agree with it, you'll get persecuted. Ask people who are doing it. But we have to stand on the gospel lovingly and not back down. When Jesus rose from the dead, those men who walked with him for three years saw him for the first time. And it was amazing. And it changed them forever. Let's look at verses 12 through 19. This is where Paul's kind of dealing with a dilemma. Now, if Christ has been, excuse me, now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is, is futile. Your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about, the, about God because we have testified against God that he raised Jesus from the dead, when in reality he did not raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised." For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. 
So now Paul drops down to the section of the gospel of the message I call the what ifs. Paul lists six implications if the resurrection of the body of Christ was not possible, if it didn't happen. And as we look at these six implications, we will see why the resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith, why this resurrection makes Jesus preeminent over anything and everything. So the first what if, he says, if there's no resurrection in verses 13 and 16, then Christ has not been raised. So then what we would have is we'd have Christ killed, buried, and left in the tomb. He was left in the tomb for, he was in the tomb for three days. His soul left the body, the body which had no blood, the body which had, it was cold and lifeless. These things would make resurrection of Jesus impossible without God. You don't lie on a medical table, if you will, for three days with no blood pumping through your veins, cold and dead, and then come back to life without something supernatural. As difficult as these things were, God did them. Jesus had the exact same body that we possess. Jesus ate and he drank during his life. He was hungry, he was thirsty, he went through pain, and after the resurrection, he did the same thing. And we see this in verse 16. After about 25 to 27 years, there was no evidence presented or suggested that Jesus had not been resurrected. So if Jesus himself had not been resurrected, then he's still there. The second what if, Paul says, if he hasn't been raised, then the message is not true because we're giving false testimony about God. So if Christ hasn't been raised, the gospel message has no power. And by the way, for people who want to follow a different type of religion, where's the power come from from that? How do you know what you're following is true? How do you know what you're following has any power? How do you know what you follow will give you what you're wanting? Or if you're one of those that says, you know, I can worship God my own way. In other words, I can kind of build my own Burger King God, you know, have it your way. And, and that's what I'm going to do. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. That's old school, isn't it? How come I can remember that, but I can't remember my name? But anyway, um, what you're building, where's the power that backs up what you think you'll get? I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Based on what? Where's the power that will back up me being a good person and going to heaven? There's no power. There's no power. But you see, the thing that gives the gospel power is the very fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul says, if that didn't happen, we have, there's nothing. We have nothing. You know, what else you got? If you debunk the resurrection, what else you got? Nothing. Just another dude who lived a good life and died a tragic death. Plenty of those people in history, right? But see, Paul says, if that happened, our preaching is in vain. The word vain means to be hollow empty, void of reality, and meaningless. In other words, it's a fairy tale. Without the resurrection being true, the Bible itself is nothing but a fairy tale. And if I were trying to debunk the Bible, that's exactly where I'd go. I'd head right for that resurrection, because if I can disprove that, the rest of it just, there's no foundation. If we proclaim that God did something that he didn't do, we're false witnesses. We're lying. The third what if is if Christ had not been raised, our faith, therefore, is empty. No resurrection, no power. In verse 17, Paul uses a different word than he uses in verse 14, where he uses this word empty. In verse 17, he, uses, he says that our faith would be useless without the resurrection. 
God's love, God's promises, God's plan of salvation are all worthless if Jesus was not raised from the dead. It's very simple. See, if you can't believe in the resurrection, you really can't believe in God. You really can't believe in the God of the Bible because without that, you have nothing. You have nothing. All Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection. Without the resurrection, our faith in God, his church, and eternal life have no foundation. Now it turns into a bunch of, you know, lollipops and balloons hoping that something will happen that won't happen. When I was a kid, I, I always wanted a car for my 16th birthday. And back in the day, parents couldn't spoil their kids like we do today. And I just, my 16th birthday was coming, and man, I just kept thinking, man, my dad, my mom and dad, they're going to get me a car. I'm going to get a car for my birthday. I can't. This is going to be great. But I also knew that it isn't going to happen because I had nothing to base that hope on. See what I mean? And guess what? When I turned 16, you know what I got? No car. Now, for some reason, my daughter, when she turned 16, my parents actually brought her a car. I'm not sure <laughs> what that was all about. I don't get that. But anyway, older people trying to make it to heaven, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but <laughs> actually, you know, as you get older, you have more disposable income theoretically. I get it, but it just cracked me up. But <laughs> if, if this didn't happen... We're just another group of people following cleverly devised tales. We might as well have a holy salamander giving us the gospel because that's how much power it would have. If Jesus isn't the son of God, if he was not raised on the third day, we better shut the church down and find something better to do with our time each week. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You just can't because your belief system has no power. The fourth what if is if Jesus was still dead. He says, oh, by the way, in verse 17, you're still dead in your sins. What cleanses us from our sins? Me being a good person. Nope. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, the, sunlit, the sinless son of God, the one whom all the Old Testament sacrifices showed us the importance of, of uh, the, the devastation that sin causes, and God punctuated that by letting his sinless son die on the cross. So we're still in our sins. We have no forgiveness. We have no hope. The fifth what if is very depressing for those of us who've lost loved ones in Christ. Because of those, if Christ hasn't been raised, those who have died already are already condemned. They have no eternal life. They have no life. They're still dead, according to verse 18. They perish when the Bible uses the word perish, it means a person has died without salvation. It denotes somebody who will spend eternity separated from God. So therefore, if Jesus did not die and raise on the third day, everybody who's gone before us is just dead and they'll never be with God. Perishing here that's spoken of here is not physical death, but dying lost. We're dying lost. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, neither will your loved one. Along with the rest of us, we will be eternally separated from God. And the final what if is if, is Jesus, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, we are to be most pitied. You know, I've thought about this. He says, most of all, we'll be most pitied because our hopes and dreams of heaven will end in disappointment. And he says, if all of our hope is just based on this life, we're to be most pitied. And when you think about it, all the religious systems out there 
they, they really don't provide any evidence that they can deliver the goods, if you want to put it bluntly. But Jesus raising from the dead shows us that God delivers on the goods, that he keeps his promises, that we can have that eternal life that we cannot have in any, in any other way or through any other person. I had a person once when I worked with Square D Company asked me, he said, what if all the stuff you believe about Jesus is wrong? And I kind of gave him an inaccurate answer as I reflect on this passage. I told him, I said, well, if it's all wrong and it's all a fairy tale and I'm just going to die and go into the ground, I've lived a good life. I've helped people. I've been a blessing to people, hopefully. And then, unfortunately, it's over. But I said, I don't really believe that's the case. I know that's not the case. But I looked at him and I said, if I'm right, what's going to happen to you? And my friend Kevin walked away. He couldn't answer. But as I think about it, really, if what I believe is not true, it's going to be, it's very depressing. Now, yeah, some good things came out of it. I did some what we would think moral things and help people and such. But I'd be really pitied. I'd be a pathetic person believing in something that can't happen. And there's nothing at the end of the rainbow, if you will. There's nothing there. There's no goods to be delivered. Have you ever thought about how, you know, Solomon wrote a lot about this, about how futile life is just to live and to die. I just, that just blows my mind. And then I've, I'm, I'm really into science and stuff. I love astronomy and things. I love watching. I watched a video the other day from the probe that landed on Venus that the Russians sent there, I think in the early 80s. Fascinated, man. I'm just like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, well, yeah, 50 billion years ago, this happened and this happened, and, you know, all by accident. And I'm like, yeah, right. How does this stuff happen by accident? It doesn't. There's a creator, and he's God, and his son is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us from him. If we only have hope in this life only, we have wasted our time, we have wasted our money, and we've wasted our hope on something that's not true. Very simple. Let's close with verses 20, uh, 20 to 28. I'm going to hit this one further, rather quickly. It says this, but now, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all whom have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also came through one man. For just as, Ad, excuse me, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then, uh, excuse me, then when the end comes, and when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and all power, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be eliminated is death. For he has put everything in subjection under his feet. But when he says everything has been put into subjection, it is clear that it does not include the one who has put everything in subjection to him. And when all these things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be in all. So quickly, what I want to finish up with here is this, the first fruits. Death came through Adam. Nothing died before Adam. This is one of the reasons, by the way, you don't have billions of years between days of creation, all right? And billions of years and all this. Nothing died until sin came in. Animals didn't die. Nothing died. Death, physical death came through Adam. 
Jesus, though, through him, life comes, and he's called the first fruits. Now, if you've ever planted a garden or if you're a farmer, but for most of us have probably planted gardens. Let's say strawberries. Man, I love strawberries. My father-in-law loves strawberries, too. I love strawberries. And so when you plant that strawberry plant, you don't wake up one day and all your plants are inundated with strawberries. One pops up. Usually one or a couple, but one pops up. And what that is is what we would call the first fruits. And that would be an indication that more are coming. So you're like, hey, we got a strawberry today. And we're just, I'm all pumped, right, thinking of the strawberry pie my wife's going to make me or something. You know, or the strawberries I'm going to eat with a bunch of whipped cream that I'm feeding my cats because they like, one of my cats likes a little bit. Even though cats can't taste sweet stuff, it's really strange. Wish I couldn't. But anyway, and, but then, you know, the next day you wake up, there's more strawberries. The next day there's more, if you keep the rabbits out of them. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more. Well, this is the same with Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. He is the first fruits, and there's more to come. And we're going to be that fruit. And those who have died before us in Christ will be that fruit. Have you ever ha- wondered what will happen when your life on earth is done? Maybe today's a good day to start thinking about that. The last enemy is death. Death will not be entirely defeated, though, until Jesus comes back. God's other foes will be subdued through defeating that last foe. Once death is defeated, Jesus has defeated it, but it will be defeated for all of us when he comes back. When all, is, when all this is done, Jesus will deliver the kingdom over to the Father. And according to the Great Commission, the Father has given all authority to Jesus. And when you belong to Jesus, guess where you're going to be? Your life won't be lived in vain or regret because you will be with him. Once the final foe is defeated, Jesus' ministry of reconciliation between God and man will be complete. And you'll stand in his glory and his awe. This morning, if you have a decision to make for Jesus, we invite you to come forward this morning. Jesus went to the cross, and he died on that cross. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. God raised him on the third day. And so because of that, we have the power of the resurrection that we can base our hope on. When people say, well, you know, how, do, how can you believe that Christian stuff? The resurrection. The resurrection gives it the power that nothing else does. No other system of theology can have because Jesus, God punctuated who Jesus was through raising him from the dead. So if you have a decision to make, you need to start your new life today. We invite you to come forward and give your life to Christ, to be baptized into him. And if you, if you are ready for that this morning, we'd love to have you come forward. If nothing else, I hope if you haven't been in that position yet that you'll start thinking about it. And if you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And um, if you have things you need to pray for, if you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But during this song of decision, if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand together and sing our song of decision. Salted.
the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they all went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from, uh, for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone had, was rolled. It was very large. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. <clears throat> so they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It would seem that these two women uh, with Mary Magdalene ran to give the disciples the news, but Mary Magdalene remained at the tomb weeping. After a bit, a voice spoke to her from behind, saying, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, <clears throat> Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to my Father. In a bit, Jesus dismissed her to go join with the others. And when she reached them, she almost shouted, I've seen the Lord! And he has said these things to me. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. Two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, who reached the tomb and, and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in. He didn't go in. He simply looked in. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Then Peter came, following him. He went into the tomb. He too saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not, with, uh, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself to their homes. And it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be unto you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then his disciples rejoiced when they saw that they had seen the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He said, I spoke these words to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I told you that. 
Then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin might be preached and proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning here in Jerusalem. So it has come to pass. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. And now he is risen from the dead to provide that salvation to everyone who will accept him as Lord and Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. He meets with us as we come together to remember him through this communion service. Thank him. Praise him. Recommit your life to him. Enjoy deep fellowship with him. Thank you, Lord God, for the message of the gospel, for the reality of the truth of that message. Thank you for this special time that we can come together and meet with you at your table as you have asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have many announcements for you. Please take note of them. We uh, will have no activities at the church this evening because of Easter. The LOL group will meet Tuesday. We have a leadership team meeting Tuesday. Um, we have a few. We have all of our Bible studies taking place Wednesday. Uh, CareNet Ministries is going to have a Walk for Life <clears throat> coming up on May 20th, so take note of that and keep that on your calendar. Also, with communion cups, if you will, when you're done, if you'll throw those in the, in the garbage, that will be helpful. Um, also, you're going to find little crosses laying around. P please feel free to take one home and pass it along to someone else. And we are still doing uh, uh, sign-ups for Art of Marriage. I want to go ahead and show you a video clip now. Men, how many times has this happened to you? You know, we, our babies sleep really, really good. Or this. Make sure Timmy wears the blue shirt. If he does or even this. And for my birthday, which is next month, I'd really like to do Do you have trouble listening or retaining information from your wife? You could be suffering from spousal selective listening or SSL. With SSL, valuable input is intercepted or scrambled before it reaches the critical learning center of the man brain. Virtually anything can trigger it, like sports, food, even shiny objects with buttons. Fortunately, there is help with Heritol. Containing a rare root with an exotic name, Heritol helps men focus and listen to valuable female input, even pick up on those subtle hints. These are exactly the earrings I wanted. How did you know? Thanks, Heritol. Now I can hear it all. Heritol has not been tested or approved by any regulatory agency. Side effects with Heritol include minor to severe headaches and spontaneous combustion. Use caution when using Heritol near mothers in law As you may hear hurtful comments that would have previously been ignored. Heritol is an enhancement drug. Do not use around children or clusters of talkable blue haired women. If focused listening lasts longer than four hours, consult your doctor immediately before your wife assumes this is a new standard in your relationship. Men with lines who are nursing or pregnant should not take this product. Heritol, the preferred selection or solution for selective hearing. I have no clue. Uh, I have no clue. Anyway, that's uh, some of the stuff we'll be doing during our Art of Marriage seminar. So if you'd like to sign up, we have a couple kiosks set up for that. All right. Uh, also, in the inside of your bulletin, please take note of all the prayers. We had three baptisms last Sunday, so that was awesome. Um, we have people we're fight, uh, praying for health issues. We have got deployed troops, our shut-ins. We're praying for the hospitality house this month. And we're also praying for CareNet. And CareNet is, as I said, they're going to have their annual walk for life. It's, the theme of it's Imagine the Possibilities. And Saturday, May 20th, uh, and it's going to begin at Calvary Chapel. So if you have the opportunity, make sure you be able to participate in that. All right, at this time, uh, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to pray, and then we'll have our closing song. And when you're done here, we got breakfast set up over in the other room. It's, it's going to be pre-prayed, so you can go ahead and, and partake. And by the way, when you're done, if you see other people trying to get in to sit, make sure you give people opportunities to have a seat. So, all right, let's go to the Lord now. Father, we thank you that we can lift up our hearts to you in prayer. And I pray, Lord, that all the, all the prayers sent up to you, we know you've heard them. And we pray, Lord, that we see uh, some things change through those.
Father, I thank you that we can come together today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that we can be spiritually fed, but we can also have some, some nourishment this morning. We thank you for everyone who has brought things to make that possible. We pray you bless all the food that people will be partaking in this morning. Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, that we can show people Jesus so their lives can change. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. joining us for church this morning. Have a great Easter, everyone. And please, join us in the other building for breakfast. Have a good day.